interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good Saturday morning. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Stu Kearns, your host. Glad to have you along uh, on a Saturday. It's going to be a full, full Saturday here with local programming on KLIN. Uh, after Friendly Fire, we've got coming up, you know, the KLIN Husker Hour, uh, the, oh, the best of LMK Today, which actually, it's, it's pretty, it really is the best of. So they took a whole week of programs. They gave you only the best stuff. So that's, that comes up after that. You've got Doug Fitzgerald and One Shot, One Life, and then Grow Lincoln at noon. And uh, Grow Lincoln is always breaking down the latest things that are happening in Lincoln with some interesting interviews and information. So just keep it on 1400 or 99.3 and uh, listen to local programming all morning long. And it's great to start off uh, this Saturday. Uh, with, sometimes I have pastors and politicians and different people. And sometimes I have people who I've, I've spent a little bit of time with, but I'd like to spend more time. And it turns out that one of the best ways to do that is to have them on radio with me. <laughs> so uh, welcome, Austin Edwards. How are yeah, you? I'm doing great, Stu. Thanks for having me, man. Really excited. Yeah, yeah. You are the, uh, the lead pastor at City Light. Is it City Light Central? City Light Lincoln Church. City yep. Light Lincoln. Okay. And they're, uh, but they're, they're, we'll get into that later. There are a couple of daughter churches, uh, mm-hmm. actually three daughter churches and a granddaughter church. Yep. But more, we'll get to that in just a little while. Yeah. Uh, t- how did you, well, let's start on a really basic question. Where'd you grow up? Yep. I grew up in Southern California in Ooh. Ventura, which is a kind of beach community north mm-hmm. of LA. Uh, my whole family's from there. My parents, um, Moved to Nebraska because my grandma had a connection here and it seemed like a better place to raise kids, which that's probably maybe objectively true. Sorry, Californians. But uh, <laughs> they had moved here when I was young. Um, it wasn't working. They got a divorce. My mom moved back with me to mm. California. Mm. I lived in California till I was um, 12 or 13 and then moved into Nebraska. Uh, it's in McCook, Nebraska, actually. So mm. go bison. Uh, town of 8,000 in southwest Nebraska. So very different from Southern California beach kid. Um, and I graduated college there and, um, ended up going to Nebraska Wesleyan university here in Lincoln. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. That, wow. That is a bit of a journey there. Uh, uh-huh. uh, my, uh, my daughter lives in uh, LA. Really? And, uh, yeah, yeah, but doesn't spend a lot of time on the beach. Did you, did, I mean, it, you know, it's funny. You live in the, people who live in the mountains don't always get in the mountains. And uh-huh. People who live at the beach, somehow they usually find a way to get to the beach. Yeah. Were, were you, uh, did you find your way to the beach regularly? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we did for sure. But it is, I mean, the fami- the familiarity aspect where it kind of loses, you lose the awe if, if when you become familiar with the place, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the ocean really ever became that for me. And again, it was easier because I was a kid, but I don't know what it'd be like now. But yeah, we did. My uncle was, was actually a professional surfer. Like that was what he did as a career. Really? And so, yeah, he got to coach me up. and But I went from surfing skateboarding to Nebraska that's like football and wrestling and it was like a totally different and I'm coming in with no knowledge of what a wide receiver is or what a fullback is and I played all four years of you know high school football but I had to learn and I came in a little bit late so that was uh so yeah I got a good amount of time in the ocean and love the lake here too you know yeah yeah though well you know there there's some water around here yeah not like not like what you're used to there. L.A., by the way, that whole area, it's pretty amazing in terms of uh, beachfront. And I, it's only a few hours to, like, Big Bear skiing. Oh, totally. It? Yep. So yeah. you, you get the whole deal. Going I on. know. It is. Yeah. You get 
mountains, hiking. I mean, the whole the whole sort of it's an amazing landscape for sure. Yeah. yeah. Do you, by the way, it's so the Olympics are on. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you watching any of the Olympics? Well, my daughter loves gymnastics. She's five. So uh-huh. that's been like our go-to uh, yeah. thing. Are they, well, we were, I, I don't know, is gymnastics going or is it, win- is it winter? It's winter. Sports? So they're doing the outside sports. But uh, but it, when you said surfing, it made me think of, uh, of uh, and skateboarding, of uh, snowboarding. Oh, yeah. Because the snowboarding stuff is nuts. Oh, yeah. It's insane. It's just, I mean, it just seems like totally crazy. You know, you, you fall off a surfboard, you're, you're in, in water, water, right? Yeah. But, whew. That's uh for yeah. snow. Oh yeah, I I've had my hand at snowboarding. I broke my ankle and <laughs> I mean it, it was yeah, it's it's a different yeah. ball game landing on that yeah. than us. And granted, I will say this, surfing doesn't feel like it'd be hard to land in the water, but it hurts. Like well. it, you know, it's like a it's a weird deal too. It seems like it'd be this soft, you know, pillow landing, but it hurts yeah. too. Not I, like snow though. Yeah, not like snow, but I I know what you're saying about water. Yeah, it smacks pretty good. Though. Yeah. You ever surfed? I have not. I have a I have a mortal fear of 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 a water and drowning. <laughs> really? So yes. When did that start? Uh very very early on. Okay. Yeah. I I found that uh, that uh, left naturally. You know they always say, well, you know, you just, your body naturally floats. Uh, my my body from from youth actually <laughs> naturally sinks. <laughs> so I'm like, wait, I should be floating now. Glug, glug, glug. And then so it's uh, gone. Yeah. But I've I've overcome it enough to. Okay, now I got to tell a story. Yeah. So we went to Greece. And uh, with the family, and my, my daughter lined up this uh, tour uh, of, around the island that we were on, on a, on a private boat. Wow. You know, and I was like, oh, this must be an arm and a leg. It wasn't too bad. You yeah. Know? So, so we're going around, they're feeding us, and then, then the highlight of this is we're going to go to a hot spring, so wear your swimsuit, and, and we're going to have some time at the hot spring. So, you know, I'm a good Midwesterner. I'm thinking, you know, sure, there'll be a little place, a little changing booth. There'll be some towels and somebody <laughs> to kind of help you. And, and you'll go in there and you'll be toasty warm. And then so he pulls over to this little cove and he points toward the inlet. And he said, it's over there. Uh, Just jump in and go for it. <laughs> and so I, I had to do the highly embarrassing thing and, oh and grab a noodle. Really? Yeah, so that I so that I felt more comfortable. You were the, you were the only one of the family that grabbed I, the noodle. They, no, everybody jumped in, even those of us who were mortally afraid of of swimming. See, and I'm just guessing that if you'd have been on that boat it, before he even stopped and said where to go, you'd have been jumping out. Oh and, yeah, and, and at the spot, you need wooed into it a little bit and in, <laughs> in the floaty. Yeah. Oh, but I but I you know what overcame. Great experience. That's amazing. That you know, I love that, and I'm jealous. That's well, that you know, awesome. you're young. You've got it <laughs> might, might happen. That could be in your future. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, now, in this journey, so it's from California to Nebraska to California back to Nebraska. Uh-huh. Um, tell me about your faith journey. What was your your faith journey like in those years? Did you did you grow up going to church? Not going to church? What What was your understanding of God as you were growing up? Yeah. Um, I I think my mom and dad did the best they could. Um, I think that they had... So my great-grandma was uh, the niece of Archbishop Cardinal Spellman in New York. So uh, then she married my grandpa, who she described as a happy Baptist. And so he took her away from the Catholic Church. She was not... Uh, family was not a fan of that, mm. um, but she really, yeah, her heart got captured by Jesus. And but my grandma and my aunt 
were just slightly turned off by just the church. I think it was so much. My grandma was so passionate about Jesus. So it kind of went into my mom's faith. You see like Timothy and, you know, like Paul's encouraging Timothy and to his, you know, mom Mm -hmm. and grandma and stuff like that. So that was kind of it. It kind of skipped the generation from my grandma and uh, aunt into my mom. But was never really lived out through uh, childhood. Like my mom would say, like she prayed for me, and I think I went to a Christian kindergarten. But it was never a significant thing. Never mm-hmm. remember, you know, going to church regularly. Or uh, my view of Jesus was one: it was either something you say when you stub your toe or get really mad, yeah. or two: a uh, <laughs> yes. God that's very. It's a moral country club, you know, like yeah. for the good people. And when I was twelve mm-hmm. years old. Um, in Southern California, shortly before I moved to Nebraska, my friend and I just bored, just didn't realize the gravity of what we're doing, uh, actually uh, broke into schools after hours and just kind of messed around. But we ended up vandalizing some things, again, with not an understanding of how serious it was, got caught and mm-hmm. convicted of a felony at 12 years old. So wow. I pastored a, show with, or a church with Mo, uh, our church originally, and Mo, like, he likes to think he has street cred, but I'm like, who's the felon between the two of us? <laughs> but anyways, it got expunged from our record. It, it, but it was still, I mean, I did 300 hours or, of community service and three years of probation, and Jesus mm. actually used that. I did community service reluctantly at a church, mm. and um, I figured because I thought Christianity was for good people— and I'm clearly not a good person that I wouldn't fit in. And they were mm. extremely loving. And we're just like, man, if you could be perfect, Jesus never would have had to come. And so I remember kind of a big moment where it was like, a, okay, I think I want to follow you, Jesus. But really, Stu, it was more like I, I'm afraid of hell and and I I want a ticket to heaven. And they just said it was free through Jesus, so sure. But no life change whatsoever. Um, I shortly moved out to Cal or to Nebraska after that. And, um, and just drank deeply of the world, but still with a name tag of Christian, but did it, you know, I was looking for satisfaction through sports and school and girls and mm. success and my money and cars and everything like that. And all the way into college mm. and was in a Bible study and, uh, with Campus Crusade for Christ and, um, got invited to a fall retreat. A guy, um, preached on Jesus calling the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. So they look mm. great on the outside. They're dead on the inside. And I was like, that's me. Like a lot of mm. people would see like there's outer success and looks like my life's put together, but I was totally addicted. I was totally unsatisfied and discontent. And my solution was just to drink more deeply of the unsatisfying world. And so that's when that weekend, 19 years old, 10 years ago, was when I actually bowed my knee to Jesus. and was like, you're not mm. just a savior, you're a Lord. And mm. I'm going to take a step off the throne of my life and you can have the seat and I'm going to take my, my crown off and I'm going to put it on you. And it was like a, you know, and so that was a big distinction for me. And that's when Jesus mm. like actually started to transform my life. And men like Bob Walls, if you're familiar with him, discipled yeah. me and just so many good men in my life um, just took, took me under their wing and, yeah. uh, and started to do that. So that's my faith journey, um, mm. how I started to walk with Jesus. It's been a crazy last 10 years, but yeah. that's how he captured my heart. I love when God does crazy things. That's what he does. He's, uh-huh. He reaches into us and, and he does things we never imagined. Yeah. And all for uh, his glory and our good. Yep. That's awesome. We're going to take a little break here. When we come back, uh, we want to talk about uh, uh, God. You know, God, when he saves people, sometimes uh, they're going to just continue on doing what they're doing because mm-hmm. they can do it for him. And sometimes he changes our, their direction. Yep. And I think he changed your direction. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Let's take a little break. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday here. Stu Kern's talking with uh, Austin Edwards, lead pastor at City Light. Uh, glad to have you along. Freshen up the coffee. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday on 1499.3 KLAN. Keeping the topics lively 
The conversation civil. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kurtz on the Voice of Lincoln, fourteen hundred and ninety nine three KLIN. We are back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday, talking with Austin Edwards. He's the lead pastor at City Light, and we're talking about how Jesus grabbed you and uh, and and uh, and saved you. And, uh, and you know, it's funny. Every a lot of different stories about how exactly Jesus did that. There's only one story of. Of what's happening, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, so uh, if if you've been saved, Jesus did that for you. He yep. he called you. He showed you who you are, who he is, and your great need. And and I love that word picture of uh, we're all sitting on the throne of our own life, and and Jesus says, "I I, I want to save you, and I want and I want to be on the throne." Yeah. Uh, and that's a now as that transition took place in your life, you were talking about guys like uh, Bob Walls and other people who were. Uh, we're discipling you, teaching you, training you, and mm-hmm. so forth. When when did it first occur to you that you know maybe maybe I ought to be a pastor? He, oh my gosh! Well, I was pre med at Wesleyan. That's one of the reasons I went there. Uh, admittance rates to med school was great. I uh, after sort of walking with Jesus, I actually had done music like consistently and played in bands and stuff. And um, right before my junior year, I was I was going to go to a, mission trip with crew to San Diego, which by mm-hmm. the way, sign me up for that mission trip every every year. <laughs> Great place. Um, but uh, I was, my, the band that I was in was planned to tour that summer. And I had felt like, again, Jesus, you got the throne. It's all you. And um, in Matthew ten thirty nine, Jesus goes, if you find your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life for me, you're going to find it. And um, I remember thinking, I found my life in music and my identity in it and my fulfillment in it and whatever. And so I was like, I think Jesus is calling me to give this up. And that's my, it was one of the biggest major costs in the beginning. And so I did. Um, and I went to San Diego instead. Well, sure enough, there's 100 students that are on their mission trip, 50 leaders. And then we work a part-time job in a surf shop or fast food. And we're sharing the gospel there. And we're hanging out on campus, sharing the gospel. And then we do this big old week gathering, like on a Friday night gathering where we're doing worship. So they needed a worship leader. And they interviewed or auditioned a bunch of people. And they pick, picked me. So And I'd never led worship before. Like, I mm. think I only knew two Christian songs. Brand new Christian. <laughs> and so God used worship in uh, me just leading out of a place where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And so that was a key where I had felt like I never thought about being a pastor. Even when I went into vocational ministry in a church, I never really thought about being a pastor. So Mm -hmm. after graduation, I'd worked at Sandals Publishing here in town and had a job offer after that, which was amazing. And I loved the place, but turned it down. My wife and I moved to South Africa and were missionaries there for a little while. Mm -hmm. We moved back to uh, Omaha and I worked at City Light Omaha as a worship intern, raised support. And uh, I was finishing seminary. I became the worship director for the whole church. And I was like, this is great. Like, I, you know what I mean? And people had spoken to my life and leadership and stuff. And I, I ended up getting a communication degree, by the way, from Wesleyan. Um, mm-hmm. So from pre-med to communication, a little bit of change. But um, coming into, uh, I was 24. My wife and I were married for um, about a year or so. And leading worship and had no intention. I wasn't throwing my hat in there for church planting. I didn't mm. ask to be a pastor. It wasn't really a dream or vision. I just love music and leading people through that. And uh, then the pastors and elders took me aside and they're like, we we think Jesus is is doing a movement in 
Lincoln and we want you to plant it, not as a worship leader, but as the co-lead pastor with Mozart Dixon. And I remember like so many red flags. It was like my, we just bought a house, Stu. We hadn't even mm. paid our first mortgage yet. Um, you know, we just got a little dog. We had our best friends. My wife was a teacher in Omaha. I mean, all that stuff. And it was, it was a massive sacrifice. So mm. to be honest, some of the call into a pastoral position was it wasn't really self-initiated. It was men speaking in my life and saying that we believe in you and, and we want to see this happen. And so um, that's, I'm a product of, yeah, men pouring into me and, and, uh, and encouraging and believing in me when I didn't think that I believed in myself, you know? Yeah. And not that it's even about me believing in myself, but just not seeing that, um, not knowing what Jesus would do through a yeah. step of obedience. Yeah. Well, you know, there in our circles, we talk about an internal call and an external call. Uh-huh. And again, the internal call, that work of the Spirit, where you think, you know, I, I think God is God is pulling on me. But then we always say that the internal call is going to be confirmed by the external yes. call. And so these uh, these guys saw something in you that you maybe didn't even see in yourself at, yeah. that, at that time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it turned out they were right. <laughs> maybe. It was a gamble, but I think, yeah, yeah, it's been all right so far. Yeah. Now, one of the things in starting something new um, I'm in, in my circles, I'm involved in church planting and, and this has been now your life is, is being dedicated to, uh, the multiplying movement, uh, in Omaha and then now in Lincoln and, and, in Colorado, uh, this, uh, uh, one of the, the first phases of church planting, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, people just say, Hey, we think you got the gifts, go do it. But, but typically these days, a lot of times they do, uh, something called an assessment. Yep. And and in our circles, we we demand that. Uh-huh. Uh huh. In fact, in our denomination, the success rate of planters, uh, meaning that they they became self supporting and yep. an, an independent congregation, was about fifty percent. Okay. And then they started instituting mandatory assessment. assessment? Yep. That's gone up to ninety percent. Wow. Uh, I love that. Yeah, and so the uh, so you have actually gone through an assessment. What were the kind of uh, I've I've heard people say this is very very personal. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and kind of intense. Oh yeah. What, what, how would you describe what what was it like and what were they looking for? Yeah, um, I, the assessment was one of the most important uh, events in my life, no doubt about it. Um, City Light operates really fast. It's like a gift, and it's also probably something we need to work on. But it was like they asked me in you know March or April. My wife and I moved in June, and then the church was planted in August. And so assessment was usually you go through assessment when you're thinking about church planning. But I never had a process. It was like they, it was already starting, you know. So we had actually planted our church. There's already several hundred people part of our church, and. But that was the soonest assessment we could get into. Huh. So we go to it. And at the end of the assessment, and it's a three, four-day thing. It was out in Ohio. Amazing men and women. Like mm-hmm. truly amazing, just caring people. But my wife, my wife and I did it and several other couples too that are considering church planting. And at the end of it, they give you, I mean, they're pouring into everything. They're, they're going character. They're going competency. They're going your marriage, your purity, your theology. I mean, your ability to cast vision all of it, which same thing, right? And at the end of it, they give you kind of four options. Like number one, they can say, we don't believe you're a planter. Number two, they can say, um, we're not sure if you could be a church planter, but uh, here's some ideas on how to discover that. Number three, we do believe you're a church planter for sure, but you need more development before you go. And number four, green light, go ahead. You're great. Well, at the end of it, my wife and I sit down with these amazing Jesus Center people and they affirmed my talent. And and it was, they'd based, they were like, we think you might be one of the most talented people we've ever had through the assessment. And it was like, oh, that's so encouraging. And then they, they were like, but 
we think that your talent can take you to a place that your character can't hold. Mm -hmm. And I remember my wife and I just like kind of shocked by it, you know, Mm -hmm. like just feeling like, did we not hear Jesus right? We're not supposed to come. And, and again, I was 24 years old. Like granted, I was pastoring alongside Mo, who was in his younger mid thirties. And so it wasn't like I was on my own doing my own thing, but they just looked and said, we think God, God's going to do a lot of things through you. And if you jump out of the gun too early, we think that the platform, the gifting, the encouragement, the success could really mess with you. Mm -hmm. And I remember it scared me to my core. And I really, we laid it all out and said, if you, I'll resign, you know, and we'll go back and I'll lead worship again or be a resident somewhere Mm -hmm. to get my character right. And Stu, it wasn't even necessarily, and I asked him, it wasn't even anything in particular about my character they could put a finger on. It was just that I was 24 years old, you know, Mm -hmm. like no provenness of character. I'd been walking with Jesus for five years at the time and it just, my shoulders were slim. And even I'm 29 now, five years in the church plant and they still are. Like I still have so much to learn and I I will forever. But it, what it did was at first it really made me afraid and it was kind of a condemning. So anytime I'd feel like I'd mess up or whatever it was, I was like, yep, they were right. And Mm -hmm. we'd got so much affirmation from elders around us and sending elders and other pastors that had felt like, man, you're, you're in your right spot. We believe in you. Um, and so keep going, but it really shifted me from going, I'm, I'm not going to read preaching books uh, as much. I'm not going to read church strategy books. I'm going to read books about being a dad, being a husband, walking with Jesus, resting. And so it really shifted me from almost like a proverbial changing my major from competency, Mm -hmm. like to character. And you think about it, like not a lot of pastors fail out of ministry because they're not preaching great sermons or they're, you know, usually it's because they're abusive or bullying or lust or adultery. And so I'm just thinking like, what's going to most bless my church, my family Mm. is me caring about my soul and my relationship with Jesus. So man, it, it was so hard to hear, but it was probably the best thing that I, you know, it was one of the best thing I could have ever heard in that moment to wake me up to the fact that like, you're not invincible. Um, and Jesus wants to do great things through you, but you need to be careful. You know? Yeah. Boy, that's a good word. We're going to take a second break. And then when we come back, I want to talk about then, uh, this, this blast of a launch of city light. And then these, these uh, daughter churches mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and kind of the philosophy behind church planting. A lot, of, a lot of people take this for granted, you know, that, well, but aren't churches just, don't, don't they just appear? And, and yet this process of, no, how, does, uh, how do we start a congregation? How do we do a new thing? And what are some of the benefits of that mm-hmm. that older churches sometimes lack? Yep. Uh, <laughs> so we'll take a little break. We'll come right back. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday talking with Austin Edwards from City Light. Glad to have you along on 1499.3 KLIN. Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns. 1499.3 KLIN. We are back, rolling right along on a Saturday morning, uh, talking with uh, the Austin Edwards. He's the, the lead pastor at City Light, which is, by the way, which is at 29th and O'Reilly. Oh, Street, yep. All right. So, um... We, we talk about this idea of church planting and how a church gets started. And there, uh, you know, well, every church was planted at some point, Exactly, right? yep. And in fact, uh, in the history of Nebraska, you look around, you're going to say, well, the Methodists were pretty busy. There, uh-huh. were, there were a lot of, lot of little Methodist churches out there. Yep. Um, but in, uh, in my tradition, your tradition, uh, again, we want to continue that legacy. There's a lot of... Uh, some people, when I talk about church planting, will say some version of this. 
Yeah, but don't I mean don't we have enough churches in Lincoln? Mm-hmm. And uh, I bet you've heard that a couple of times. Oh yeah. Yeah, and what's what what do you say when somebody raises that? Yeah. So, I don't know the exact stat, but it, there's something to, and maybe you know, as I reference it, because I know you love and live church planting, mm-hmm. but um, about the ability to reach non-believers, like an existing church's ability to reach people who don't believe in Jesus versus a new church. Mm-hmm. Um, and the stat is like insane. It's like brand new, you know, church plants are way more likely to reach people yeah. who don't know Jesus than existing churches mm-hmm. are. So you might go, there's enough churches, but that doesn't mean those churches have the ability to reach the non-believers and in our city, and you could never say there's enough believers in our city. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Jesus, his heart still breaks for people who are lost. And there's, yeah. you know, thousands and thousands and thousands everywhere. Yeah. Um, and it's it's heartbreaking, you know. So church planting is a is a means to that, is to go. Um, and, uh, and there's something sparking. Like even, it's been amazing to see people um, that were sitting in the backseat of other churches, other great churches, by the way, mm-hmm. that just said, hey, we feel a call and a mission, like to run after this mission. And they're sparked in a new way mm-hmm. that they never have been. And they're like alive and they're going, man, I've been walking with Jesus for yeah. 30 years. I've been serving in church, counting the you know money, the giving, offering, whatever. And now I'm discipling a group of dudes. And I mean, just crazy stories yeah. have been happening. So yeah. those are some things I'd say. It's better at reaching non-believers in an existing church normally, mm-hmm. um, statistically. And then also it just, there's something new and engaging about people waking up to the urgency and the need of of it. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting when a church has existed for a longer period of time that people just kind of have this expectation that, well, they're good. They've got mm-hmm. what they need and they don't really need me. Mm-hmm. And that is never true in a church plan. True, yeah. <laughs> they're like, dude, we need you. Uh-huh. You need to help. And, and I don't know what it is in your denomination, but in my denomination, I think generally speaking, about 10 times as many people come to Christ in church plans yeah. as come to Christ That's about in, right. in, non, you know, in, in, in existing churches. 10 times, yeah. It's crazy. It's, it's just, it's ab- absurd, uh, beautifully absurd. Mm-hmm. The, one, uh, the one thing, and, it, and for as long as, as our denomination has existed, it's, it's not even close. It is the number one way that people hear the gospel yes. and come to Christ in faith yep. is, is through church planting. Exactly. It's, whatever is second and third, it isn't even close. Yep. Uh, and by the way, the other thing too, is that um, there, okay, there, I know there are a lot of churches in Lincoln and, and a lot of good churches who, yep. who preach, preach Christ. Yeah. We were grateful for that. But um, Lincoln has a lot of people. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's a lot of people to be reached. Totally. And uh, and so to to do that in a in a meaningful personal way, uh, again, I I don't know that we can plant churches fast enough. Yep. Yeah. Totally so right. so you plant this church, it it kind of just takes off mm-hmm. and explodes a little bit. When did you when did it first occur to you you guys to say you know what? I think just as Omaha kind of multiplied a little bit there in, in congregations, we need to do that in Lincoln. What was that? What was that like? Yeah. Oh, I mean, so much. Again, I could talk about this all day, but there are a couple core values for City Light that is a distinctive. If you want to be a City Light church, you are a planting church. There's no like, mm-hmm. we're we're just not gonna we're gonna do something different. It's like no, that's a core distinctive commitment to plant churches, mm-hmm. um, and you can plant churches in a lot of different ways too. It's not like you're. I mean, you can help support church plants. You can help house church planters for a season. You can send your people. So say another church is planting a church and you can go, you can tell your church about this new church plants and go, we want to give you permission to go and run after. There's a lot of different ways other than just you being the 
primary church that plants the church, but yeah. it's a commitment to it. Um, but, you know, there's the idea, we have the phrase, like, we send our best, you know, and that's ultimately what God did in the gospel, that Jesus was God's best. It was like, I'm going to send my most valuable. And, you know, I have a little nylon string guitar that if my kids want to play with it, it's it was like 60 bucks. They can play with it all day. Then I have a $1,000 tailor. And if they want to play, I'm not. But, you know, <laughs> but God giving us Jesus is yeah. him giving us his best. And I think for church planting, we really do want to, like, sacrificially mm-hmm. send our best favorite people. And when you plant churches, you know this too, consumers don't really go, like not all new believers go, like a lot of your committed core people, Mm -hmm. you know, that are contributors go. And so you really are sacrificing a ton. In the last few years, we've sent out hundreds of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands, like in give, in givers that give consistently, Mm -hmm. elders, um, you know, dozens of staff and all that. So J.D. Greer um, is a pastor, um, on the East Coast at a church called Summit, but I think he coined the phrase, like, the vision isn't seating capacity, it's sending capacity, mm. which is a massive paradigm shift for a church. So it's like mission over mega, basically. Like, we're not trying, the goal isn't get bigger, get a bigger auditorium. The goal is, I want to actually get new churches in the city and around. And so it's yeah. like, you can incrementally keep reaching more people by expanding the sanctuary, you can exponentially reach more people by sending out new church plants. And so we had grown, we were at three gatherings, our building can fit around 400 people. Three gatherings, maxed out every single Sunday, we need a new space. We talked with another church in town um, and um, there was a couple like, they just felt, they were uh, maybe 12 people and there was like a 700 person sanctuary and it was just uh th- we were like hey do you want to swap buildings like this would be great and they just felt like god wasn't telling them to do that and so they said no and in that disappointment and discouragement god was like again remember your commitment to plant churches what if rather than trying to get a bigger building you just kept planting churches and mm-hmm. so we planted a church in south lincoln and um and sent maybe 100 150 people they went there and it was amazing and a lot of those were core core people and um, Ricky and Alex lead that. They do a phenomenal job. And then um, same thing shortly after that. But you know, I'm sure too, it feels like you send those people out and new people come. I mean, it's just, it's a never ending yeah. reality. And so then we plant a church in North Lincoln and send about a hundred people and four different missional communities that were living up Northeast and, um, and they're doing great too. And then we plant, got to plant a church in Fort Collins, Colorado as well and send you know people. So that all happened, those three church plants all autonomized. So they're all, it's not multi-site. They all have their own elders, their own finances, their own um, unique preaching schedule and everything. Um, So they're all autonomous um, and they all went autonomous Mm. within one year of each other. So it was wild, but that was our commitment to say, and man, it's like the number of people that they've baptized or or even people that have grown and served in new ways would never Mm. have happened had we just said, let's keep everyone at City Light Lincoln on 28th yeah. and O and do this thing big, it never would have happened. So yeah. it's hard. It, it sounds glamorous. It wasn't, but it's so worth it. And so I'm so grateful. Yeah. And you guys have lived that legacy out too, Stu. I'm so grateful for you and your leadership and example. There, uh, it's, it's, it's really, a, it's been a joy. We've planted two churches and to see them flourish is, is a great thing. The one thing I instituted, I, I kind of, I, I try not to throw my ideas around too hard, but, <laughs> but I, I, I thought, we, how do we keep this vision alive? And one of the things we've done now, which I don't know if you guys do this or not, but we have an annual, we call it a unity service. Hmm. And we, we find a venue large enough for all three of the churches to get together in yes. one space. And then churches take turns leading it and, uh, and maybe pull together some extra musicians to, to beef up the sound a little bit on that Sunday. Yeah, I love and, that. Uh, and that. And every time they... Uh, 
we do this, one of the things I, if I'm in charge, one of the things I try to say is that, you know, there's no smoke-filled room. Our headquarters are in Atlanta. I don't know where you guys' headquarters yeah. are, but there's no smoke-filled room in Atlanta where people are saying, you know, how are we going to reach Lincoln, Nebraska? <laughs> and so I just look at them and I say, this is the smoke-filled room. Yeah. You're wow. the ones who have been tasked with this. That's great. And then, it, and then it just kind of excites them to look around and say, wow, this is so much more than it would have been if we hadn't yep. divided, you know, mm-hmm. if we hadn't planted. Yep. And uh, so who knows? That could be. Yeah, that could be a thing. I love that. We do. We summer baptisms. We do summer right. baptisms uh, once a year with all of us together, and it's a it's yeah. a blast. So, but you're right. That unifying thing. It feels like a family reunion. You're yes. seeing people like oh. And in yes. some ways, you remember. I wish I could see them yeah. every Sunday. Yeah. But in some ways, you're like, praise God, they're in a different place, reaching new people. Absolutely, absolutely. One last break. We're going to come back then, do a little shameless plug. And, um, well, who knows what else? It's a Friendly Fire Saturday talking with uh, lead pastor Austin Edwards here from City Light. Uh, Glad to have you along on 1499.3 KLIN. Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Welcome back. Uh, Talking with uh, Austin Edwards. He's the lead pastor at City Light. And actually, just right down the street from Broadcast House, too. Yep. Not very far nice. away. Uh, Austin, it is that time of the program where we always do a shameless plug. So I say to you, plug away. <laughs> plug anything you want yeah, to plug. Yeah, well, oh gosh. Well, the thing that's on my you know, mind and heart most probably relevant is, the thing I'd plug is reaching college students. I mean, mm. our... I think that when my wife and I considered, I shared earlier, you know, that we, I was 24, we were pretty newly married, just bought a house, hadn't sold our, or I hadn't even paid our first mortgage yet. Mm-hmm. And they asked us to plant a church in Lincoln. And I remember thinking when we were processing through all that we'd have to sacrifice, there, there's about 30,000 college students in the Lincoln area. If you consider like metro area, Concordia, Doan, you know, obviously UNL, Wesleyan, SEC, Union, there's 30,000. We'd done some research and there was only about 800 that were involved in a college ministry. Wow. Now, so you're going like, tw- that's 29,000. And for most people listening, you've probably been in college or understand the college season. And the whole connotation with college is like, this is the best time of your life. Mm-hmm. And so this is where life happens. This is where memories are formed. So everybody is drinking deeply of the world and they're living up this college life. And then they're waking up the next morning going, man, that was fun, but what's the next one? And you're just, and you're just chasing wind, you know? Mm -hmm. And so all these 29,000 college students in Lincoln are searching for joy and happiness and peace in places they'll never find it because they're not looking in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those 29,000s do, um, grew up in Christian homes and they have some sense of form of, you know, um, uh, yeah, maybe Jesus is real, but I don't know if he has anything mm-hmm. to say to my life. And so it, we, when my wife and I thought about it, we were like, I'll sell my life out for those 30,000 college students. Mm-hmm. And um, I want to be a church that reaches. And if we can just state the obvious, college students aren't very strategic to reach in a couple different ways. Number one, <laughs> they're transient. Yes. So on Easter, like truly we have we, uh, probably half of our church is college students, probably about 500 people in our church are college aged. And... um and so on Easter and on Christmas, when every other church is like, this is the biggest Sundays, they're some of the lowest Sundays because yeah. the college students are at home or even our young adults are back home with their parents. Um, so they're transient. They come, they go, you have them for a little while. And the retention rate, they get jobs after their senior year and they go somewhere else, you know? 
Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's a long-term investment and you get them back. And they also don't have financial ability to really give <laughs> in, a, in a significant way. So our church is large, but we have a budget of probably a third of our size, truly, mm-hmm. for what it should be. Um, so all those reasons. But at the same time, the reason I want to shamelessly plug college students, and this is for anyone that if you're in a church to say, like, how do we love college students, give towards college students, whatever it is, or it's just, I want to invest in college students. If you're a businessman, there's so many guys we have that, that go, I wish that I had an older businessman or someone who's just been a dad for 20 years, whatever it is, mm-hmm. just to show me what it's like. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I don't believe there's any more strategic group of people that you could reach in the entire world um, than college students. Because they're in a space where they're getting to decide for themselves what they believe and what they think in the direction of their mm-hmm. life. And if you're thinking about raising up church planters and pastors or global missionaries to unreach people groups, it's so hard to compel a 30-year-old with a family and an established job and a home to compromise what you make financially and move everything away. It's far easier to convince a 22-year-old fresh out of college to explore that possibility and go. Mm. You think about the army. Who do they draft? Young people. You think about the every professional sport. Who? What's that? Young people. It's like there's something about this missing demographic, and it feels like churches are completely overlooking them. Mm. And, um, and so in one regard, it's great that we do great at reaching college students, but the dream is that every single church in Lincoln would go, we have to reach the next generation of college students. Um, and so it's, I, I think it's been so joyful. They add, yeah, they might take up seats. Yeah, they might not give financially, substantially, but they also give this amazing passion and energy in the room. Mm-hmm. And they also give the older pe- older generations in our church just such a joy for the next generation. There's hope, like this is amazing. And they're sparking them. And it's sweet just to see the intermixing of that intergenerational because the college students are looking at the 60-year-old empty nesters and they're going, I want my life to be like that. I want to be um, like that couple. And it's just so beautiful. And so I couldn't say enough about reaching college students. Um, and so to be honest, one of the downsides to reaching college students is we've kind of been siloed as like a college church. Mm. And it's like, if you're a college church that isn't a church. Like that's just another ministry. A church is intergenerational, you know? And so it's like, mm-hmm. and we, you know, again, half of the rest, other half of our church are young adults, empty nesters, parents, families, singles, whatever. But, um, but I just, it's been so beautiful for us to see that happen. And I don't know what that looks like for people applying that. If it's, let's start to try to do a college ministry or maybe it's just praying for college students in our city, like mm-hmm. praying for those 29,000. And thankfully churches and ministries are continuing to do their job and it's fun to join them and see more people reach. But so, yeah, I just think college students in so many regards, the, the future's theirs. They have so much ability to saturate the rest of the state, mm-hmm. the rest of the nation the rest of the world. And if you get to reach them for there's four years here, you're impacting the next 40 years, wherever else they go. Right. So it's worth it. And uh, I'd love to yeah, call you to pray or be a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. When they, uh, there's, there's something about uh, when, even as you're describing that when I started in ministry uh, 30 years ago, again, I was, I was your age uh-huh. and, uh, and you're like, well, where are the older people? You know, they, yep. oh, okay. If you wait thirty years, they'll be there. They'll be there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so there. But then, but then, the, that idea of the continual refreshing mm-hmm. of uh, of never for, forgetting, uh, you know, if we're not if we're not reaching college students, 
young families with children. If we're not if we're not passionate about that, yeah. we're going to age out. We're mm-hmm. going to die. We're yeah. going to you know now Jesus Church isn't going to die. Jesus marches on, and, yeah. the, and the churches are going to go. But we're going to miss out on the joy of being a part of that mm-hmm. if we if we forget that passion. Yeah, uh, these are uh, we were. I was that. Yeah, and uh, and uh, and trust me, Lord willing, you'll. You'll grow into an, a, yeah. a, a multi generational church. Yes, as time goes on. Yeah, uh, just a couple of minutes left. Uh, every time I think about college students, it seems like, in some senses, the issues they deal with are timeless, and in another, in another sense, sometimes each era has its own kind of questions that they're wrestling with, mm-hmm. or whether it's the culture, or their faith, or as as you interact with some of those kids, what are what are one or two of the things that that. Maybe it's timeless, but but this is these are the things that they're struggling with, they're wrestling with, and they and they want a, a pastor, a church, uh, they want guidance. Well, yeah. What, what's on that short list? Well, I mean, I, that's such a good question. I, what's unique about college students is I, th- or this is probably Stu for any generation. I'm sure you agree with this and know this, but it seems like, and there is a level where you want to contextualize, but at the same time. We don't do anything fancy. We, the lights are on, you know, we don't have any smoke there, you know, and our, there's, there's <laughs> nothing fancy. We sing yeah. contemporary songs, hymns. I mean, it's a whole, it's very basic. We're a very normal church. It's not like we have modernized it where, and so it's like, I think people just want the Bible. Like, I mm-hmm. think they just like want to see that the Bible's objectively true and it's relevant in their lives and it, every page is about Jesus mm-hmm. and his grace. And so it's like, we haven't adapted and gone, let's do these. We, we preach through books of the Bible. We don't preach mm-hmm. topical, you know, serious. We just, we're, you know, in the middle of Luke and we've been in it for over a year and we'll finish it in six months. And so it's like, I just think some people spend so much time brainstorming. How do we get college students? It's like, they just want real, unashamed truth through the Bible about the gospel and Jesus and challenged into that. And so, I mean, I think there's a lot to answer your original question of like, are there things I think they're wondering, is the Bible true? How can I mm-hmm. trust it? Mm-hmm. I think they're looking, are people innately good? Are they innately evil? You know, like, and you're, and you're looking at, no, everyone's broken and there's a savior. So that's bad news, but it's also good news. And, um, and yeah, the Bible's true and it's relevant and it's beautiful and it's living and active. So that's what I'd say. Don't, yeah, don't try to cater your message. Um, be unashamed about the gospel and see what happens. Amen to every word of that. Austin, thank you so much for being with me today. I sure do appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, grateful for you. Uh, leave you always saying to talk about it. Uh, think, about, Excuse me, think about it, talk about it, and see you next week.